0: Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month. And if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD. Correlating study guide and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.
1: Following your own desire in defiance of God's will can only have one possible outcome, disappointment. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how the people of Israel demonstrated that truth and how God provided deliverance through an unlikely choice as their leader. From The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, Man Appoints, but God Anoints.
2: And we're going to talk about leadership here in just a few moments on Turning Point as we look at the beginning of David's leadership uh, over the nation of Israel. But before we get to that study, I want to tell you a little bit about our resource for the month of June. It's a book called The Focused Life, a uh, leather-covered, gilded-edge-paged devotional that does a very wonderful thing for you. It helps you to read through the Psalms and a chapter in the book of Proverbs during each month. Read five Psalms, one chapter from Proverbs, and you'll get through both books in the same month. You know, Christians uniquely live in two dimensions. We're citizens of the earth traveling to heaven, but we're also citizens of heaven traveling through the earth. We need a hymn to fill us with praise to God, and we need guidance in the most practical matters of life. So the Psalms helps us relate to God, and the Proverbs help us figure out what what's going on on this earth and the practical things we need to know. Someone has said, Proverbs keeps your feet on the earth. Um, now, when you get this little volume that's our resource for the month, you have these books side by side. You have five psalms printed, and then next to that, the first proverb, chapter of Proverbs, then five more psalms, then Proverbs chapter 2, and on through the month. So you just leave your little marker in the book, and each day pick up your reading, and it will be such a blessing to you. I know many people that have done this. Some of them have read uh, this little volume every month for years, and, and they tell me that every time I read it, I read something new or remember something important. We want you to have this volume, and it's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of June. Here is uh, part one now of Man Appoints, But God Anoints, from 1 Samuel chapter 16.
3: David was born at a time when leadership was greatly demanded. The judges had one by one come to power, presiding over the wickedness of the people. And finally, at the end of the period of the judges, when the people were wearied with the prospect of Samuel's sons reigning over them, they came to Samuel and begged Samuel for a king. In response to their request, the people were granted, not because the Lord wanted it that way, but because they had so requested. The people were granted a king, and Saul was made the ruler over Israel. Saul's leadership was failing, and it was time for someone else to come to the throne. All through this period of time, God had been at work, searching, finding, choosing, commanding, and ultimately providing David as the king for Israel. We learned that among the qualities that David possessed, which were used of the Lord, was Not only the context of his life, which was most meaningful, but the charisma that he possessed and his creativity. We learned that he was a man God used because he was faithful in confessing his sin when he committed it. But most of all, we discovered that God used David because he chose to use him. That in the sovereignty of his own heart, God reached out and put his hand upon David and said, This is my man. Now, as we study the 16th chapter today, we discover that God has a definite way by which he makes his choices. And this chapter is very helpful to us because it is a contrast between the way man functions and the way God functions. We have here a play in this chapter between what had happened in the past in the selection of Saul and what is about to happen in the selection of David. On the one hand, we have Saul, who was the choice of the people. And on the other hand, we have David, who was the choice of God. Now, this chapter has been called The Anointing of David by Samuel. And we have titled our message, Man Appoints, But God Anoints. And let us notice first, as we look at the chapter together, that the responsibility for anointing is God's alone. The responsibility for anointing is God's. Turn back in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel again, and let me remind you once more about the circumstances that brought Saul, David's predecessor, to the throne. Notice in the 8th chapter and the 5th verse, They said unto him, Behold, thou art old. And thy sons walk not in the ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. These were the words of the elders of Israel who came to Samuel and said, We want a king. Please go get us a king and let him come and rule over us so we can be like everybody else. And the Bible says that when Samuel heard it, he wept and he mourned because he felt as if the people were stepping out of the place That was rightfully theirs. And God concurred with that. For he says later on in the 8th chapter that they had not rejected Samuel by their request, but they had rejected the Lord. It is interesting that Hosea the prophet gives this commentary on this particular situation in Israel. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 13 we read these words. God is speaking concerning the selection of Saul. And this is what he said. I gave them a king in mine anger, and I took him away in my wrath. I gave Israel a king in my anger. It was as if God was saying, you want a king? All right, here's a king. He gave it to him in anger, and he's about to take it away in wrath. The interesting thing about the selection of Saul is that it was initiated by man. It was all the result of human longings for leadership. God was not in it except to grant the request because of the hardness of their heart. And as we read in another passage, he gave them what they asked for and sent leanness to their souls. How different is the selection of David from all of that? Notice now in the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 3. That throughout the first three verses, we see the divine initiative in the selection of David. In the first verse, we see God at work. He is saying to Samuel, quit crying about Saul. Don't sit around moping about him anymore. I've rejected him. And then he says, go and I will send thee to Jesse. And I have provided me a king from among the people. This is God's choice. This is God's initiative. He is saying, this is my king. This is not the people's king. This is my king. Notice the third verse. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Now watch carefully. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. In other words, God is making very sure that this anointing is going to be his choice and his alone. The responsibility belongs to God. The choice of David was initiated by God, and the reflection upon that is that David is accepted. The choice of Saul is initiated by man, and though Saul started out right, if you follow his life, you know that he ended in disaster. In fact, he committed suicide. On the one hand is man's way of doing it, and on the other hand is God's way. On the one hand is man initiating the situation, and on the other hand is God. Throughout the whole chapter, this contrast is evident. Not only is the responsibility for anointing gods, but notice secondly, the requirements for anointing are gods as well. Beginning at the sixth verse, we learn that when Samuel came to Jesse's house... He probably already had in his mind some idea of the kind of person God would select. You see, Samuel had been the one who had been responsible for bringing Saul, the man who was head and shoulders above all the people in Israel. And I can't help but think that in Samuel's mind, he had sort of a template already built. And he figured when he got there, he wouldn't need God at all. He would be able to see immediately who the right person was. So when he came, Jesse began to introduce his sons, and the first son was Eliab. Now we know something about Eliab from a mention of him later on in the story. He apparently was not too much unlike Saul, a large man with a great deal of energy and stature and strength and apparently quite attractive outwardly. As soon as Samuel saw Eliab, he said, this is the one, this is the guy, this must be God's choice. Well, if you know the story, not only was Eliab not God's choice, but Abinadab, the second one, wasn't God's choice. And Shama, the third one, wasn't God's choice. And Jesse paraded all of the sons of his house before Samuel, and not one of them was the right one. You see, God was looking for something that was not seen by the human requirements God was looking beyond the outward appearance God was looking for something unique and that is certainly what we're learning in the seventh verse which is the key verse in this chapter the Lord said unto Samuel look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him the Lord seeth not as man seeth now watch carefully man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart Never have we needed to hear that more than we need that in this narcissistic generation. Everybody is out there evaluating on the outward appearance. I dare say that you will find nothing on most resumes relative to the heart of the man. You will find only those characteristics that have to do with His performance, His qualifications, the things that you can visualize or you can in some way investigate. But God says all of those things, as important as they may be to us, are of little importance to Him, for He has a whole different way of evaluating people. And you know, if we could somehow get a hold of God's way of doing this, we would make better selections in our married partners, probably. You know, I see kids today who are getting married based on the total outward appearance. And that's all, you know, th- that's all they're concerned about. And that's so very little of what a married relationship's all about. We select personnel for our organization, sometimes the same way. And then we wonder how we get into trouble. Now, listen to me. Let's look at God's way of selection. First of all, it is not physical appearance but spiritual attitude that God cares about. The Lord looks on the heart. Twice in the text relative to David's life, we are told that David is a man after God's heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after the heart of God? Well, I'm not sure I can explore all of that, but surely it means that whatever God loves, we love. Whatever God's interested in, we're interested in. Whatever God says yes to, we say yes to. A man who has a heart for God is a man who has embodied the priorities and the purposes of the Almighty. And David was a man after God's heart. And when he was anointed to be king, it was that quality which the Lord pointed out to Samuel. God does not look on the outward appearance, but God zeroes in on the heart. God's interested in our heart. know, we have found that in the years that we have been involved in, in bringing people together to work. You can talk all about experience and background and all about accomplishment. But what you really want to get a hold of, if you can, is where is the man's heart? What kind of heart does he have? I'm reminded of a, a passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles 16.9. If you can find that quickly, you might want to turn there. But otherwise, let me just read it to you. What kind of a man is God looking for? Listen, here is his search party request. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's the way God looks. He's looking for somebody that's got a perfect heart. Somebody whose is heart is toward God. God looked at Eliab, and God looked at Aminadab, and God looked at Shammah, and God looked at all the rest of the sons, and he said, they're okay as the outward appearance goes, but I'm looking for something that goes deeper. I am not so concerned about outward appearance. I am concerned about inward attitude, spirituality. Now, The second thing we learn about God's choices and his requirements for anointing are, number two, God is not looking for a strong spirit. God is looking for a servant spirit. Turn to Psalm 89, verse 18. Verses 18 through 20, we see some various qualifications for leadership. Now watch carefully. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our king. Then thou speakest in vision to thy Holy One, and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. And then verse 20 says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. Now the qualification here is that God is not looking for a strong spirit. He's looking for a servant heart. Saul had a strong spirit. He was chosen by the people. And Saul had many accomplishments. He was a man with strong initiative and strong spirit. But David was a servant. In fact, if you'll turn back in the Psalms, just a couple of pages to the 78th Psalm, you will notice this principle again. That the requirement that God wants in his people, the one he is going to anoint for service, he's more interested in their servanthood than in their strong spirit. In Psalm 78 and verse 70, we read it again. The psalmist says, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. Where did David come from? He came from a servant position. He came from taking care of the stinking sheep. He came from out on the hillside where he followed the flocks around. And God looked down and saw him in his service and said, That's one of the qualities I need in the man I'm going to anoint. If you understand leadership, and I'm sure that most of us do not fully understand it, but if you comprehend it, the more you understand about it, the more you recognize that leadership is first of all servanthood. In the Christian world, we have taken leadership and turned it on its head. In the secular world, the concept of leadership is like a triangle, like this. In leadership, you start at the bottom. And at the bottom, there are many people on this level. And as you work your way up in the secular world, you work up to another level, a little above the bottom level. And there are fewer people there. And you keep moving up in the triangle until if you make it to the top, you are at the apex of the triangle. You are at the top and all of these people are serving you. But you know what happens in the Christian world? God takes that and he just turns it upside down. And the Bible says, he that would be great among you, let him be the what? The least. In the secular world, the question we ask is, how many people are serving me? In the spiritual or in the Christian world, we ask, how many people am I serving? In the Christian world, you're down at the bottom in so many respects. And all the people who work with you, you are serving them. You are meeting their needs. You are trying to to be a servant to them. And that's the quality God was looking for. He needed a servant leader in Israel who could take the needs of the people and put them first and meet their needs in a servant spirit. You see, that's not something that you can see on the outside. That doesn't appear on the resume. You won't find that in the first interview. And that's one of the reasons why when we're getting personnel or when we're working to try to build an organization sometimes it's very difficult to look at a man's heart, to look at his servant attitude and find out whether that's the person God is really going to use in our midst. But God is not interested in the outward appearance. He's interested in the spiritual attitude. And God is not interested in our strong spirit. He's interested in our servant spirit. And The third requirement that I think of as relates to David and his anointing is that God is not necessarily looking for a public person Often he's looking for a private person. Many of the leaders that God has used in this world to affect change for the kingdom have been people who have been plucked out of a very secluded environment. And where did God get David? Out serving in the public marketplace? No, he found David back on the backside of the hills of Bethlehem where his only companions were the sheep. He was out there by himself where nobody could watch and nobody could see and nobody could know. But what was going on in the heart of David out there was God's preparation to bring him ultimately to a place of leadership. Just like he cured Moses on the desert for his leadership. Just like he cured Joseph down in Egypt for his leadership. God has always had a a special place in his selection For people who come out of a rather private life. What was going on with David while he was tending the sheep? (laughs) Wasted time? No. God was teaching David lessons out there in the wilderness that would ultimately put him in good stead for the challenges he would face later. By the way, how was David ultimately plummeted to the throne of Israel? It started in his victory over Goliath. Do you know where the victory over Goliath started? It started in the private time of David in the wilderness. We'll get to that shortly, but let me just jump ahead with you for a moment and ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want you to note David's little testimony about some of the lessons that he was learning out there secluded where nobody was watching but God. 1 Samuel 17, David has volunteered to go fight the giant and Saul's trying to talk him out of it. And Saul said to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God and David said moreover the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine and Saul said to David go and the Lord be with you what is David saying you know I love Saul God be with you and have at it David but what is this saying David is about to step in to the most public arena of his life. Can you get the picture? All of Israel's gathered over here, and all of the Philistines gathered over here, and on center stage is Goliath and David. He's about to make his public appearance. But guess where he got ready for it? on the backside of the hills of Bethlehem fighting the daily battles that a shepherd boy has to deal with and learning how to be courageous when nobody was there to observe. That's where God prepares his people. Young people, you probably wonder what in the world you are doing here taking on a four-year course in college. What in the world does sitting in my secluded room Late into the night, at my carol, with my books open, pouring over my notes, what does that have to do with anything that's anything at all? And I want to tell you something. What God is teaching you in private, in the personal discipline of your own life, is going to determine whether or not you can be anointed servant of God in the future. Hmm.
2: Boy, that's something I said a long time ago, but looking back, I, I want to tell you I didn't know if I was aware that I was speaking the absolute truth back then. I hope I was. But I can tell you right now, I can look back and say that is the truth. Um, I have a son who works in the NFL Network, and every year he has a big moment at the draft where he's on television for two days, two and a half days. Everybody talks about what a great job he does, and he really does. But what I know is how much time he's spent getting ready for that, how many hours behind closed doors with nobody checking on him, nobody making sure he does it, making sure he watches film on all of those players, 400-plus players he watches film on to get ready for three days of a draft show. What a great illustration that is for all of us. It's what we do behind closed doors, what we do in the quiet, what we do when no one's checking up on us, but we know God is. That makes the difference in our life. Um, we're going to learn a lot about that going forward, and I hope you'll join us as we take each step day by day. Don't forget, you can get a copy of uh, The Focused Life, our daily devotional resource for the month of June. Simply ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. The tour to Israel is March 12th through the 22nd in 2024, and uh, we hope you'll plan to come with us. Find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org events. See you next time right here on this good station.
1: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800 946 4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiahca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you
0: know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org.
2: A certain woman complained to her husband about how dirty the windows were on their neighbor's house. One day she realized her own windows needed washing and spent the day cleaning them. That night she exclaimed to her husband that their neighbor had followed her example and washed her own windows. Just look at our neighbor's windows shine, she said. Of course the neighbor had not washed her windows. What happened was a change in perspective. As soon as the first woman took care of her own windows... Her neighbors seemed much less dirty. And Jesus advised dealing with our own shortcomings before criticizing others. So this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's teaching about criticism on
0: Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.